Hey, it's Seeking Plum. This is a bit of a note before we get into the episode, a bit for logistics, and then a bit about the content. In the episode, I recollect an interaction and conversation I had with a gentleman. It actually happened on June 30th, and then I recorded the episode maybe a day and a half or two days later, so sort of ignore the timeline I mention in the episode. More importantly, I recorded it in the middle of the night, and I was half asleep, but I was so excited, and I wanted to make sure that I, that I recorded and saved what I could, what I could remember, because, because it made such an impact on me, and I felt these ideas were so beautiful and so amazing. That said, because you are getting them second and possibly even third hand, and I was tired, I think that you are definitely getting holes in the information. Now, you may be wondering why I didn't try to fill those holes, and you'll hear more about that in the episode. So this is my apology and disclaimer that the information you're getting is incomplete, but I hope you still find some value in it because I think it offers a different perspective we don't always get, And I found that invaluable because the gentleman I was speaking with, he was from India. And because of that, he offers a completely different perspective than we get here in North America. One final piece of information and minor, uh, but if you are interested, there is a picture on my Instagram of the view I had that day. I was sitting in a Starbucks and As far as Starbucks goes, it was kind of impressive, but it sort of gives you more of a a view of what this scene looked like when when the interaction happened. And if you want to see that, I posted it about a week ago on my Instagram, as I said, and the account is also called Seeking Plum. So uh, yeah, anyway, uh, without further ado, let's, let's get into it. Hey, it's Seeking Plum. A few days ago, I was sitting in yet another Starbucks, my earbuds in, listening to music while I read, and I came across an interesting character. He came in the second time singing, and (laughs) with my music on, the din in the room, the crowds, it sounded like, it sounded like he was singing a Muslim call to worship, but in a cheery tone. Now, I could be completely wrong. I don't know what he was singing, but that's what it sounded like. And then he sat down with his laptop and he would randomly say loud things, but I couldn't make out what he was saying. Eventually, he would have these large, arm gestures and hand signals it brought into it. Couldn't figure out what was going on. At one point, I needed to roll my wrist and stretch it a bit. It was a bit stiff. And he saw me do this. And then he looks down at his right wrist and repeats exactly what I did. And I'm thinking, this guy is really strange, but by now I am amused, I am entertained, and I'm beginning to find him a bit endearing. It's about this time that I realize he's had earbuds in. Now I don't know how long he's had them in, 
soon after he removes them and gestures to me and I pull mine out and he says that he had been on the phone and he asks if he was too loud. I tell him no because I couldn't hear anything he'd said and he wasn't really disturbing me. He begins to strike up a conversation. I can't remember exactly what it was about or what he said. From my perspective, I'm not imagining it's going to be very long because I was preparing to go on a walkabout, as I call them. I needed to stretch my legs. But I never anticipated the conversation leading into very fascinating territory. So much so that it has been on my mind ever since. And I wish with everything that is in me that I had recorded it. But it was so loud, I could barely hear him myself. What led us down this meandering path was the topic of health and doctors. And he explained he'd been learning about the history of India before the British arrived. Parenthetically, when I try to find more information so I can give this to you more crystal clear, I'm finding that the information, the knowledge, the facts is flavored through the lens of what happened afterward, British rule afterward, and how things changed, or through the Western perspective of how life, quote, should be. So how India lived prior was perceived negatively because it didn't match what we think in the West life should be. So for instance, it may read that agriculturally they were economically, quote, terrible, but that wasn't the point, at least not for them, even though that might be what the point is for us in the West or what it was even at that time. You may understand better when I get into some of this. So to give a frame reference for time, we're talking like pre-mid-1700s or even pre-1700, I think. And there were different groups of people, and you were in that group based on how you, you, you were born into it. It was hereditary. So if your family was in carpentry, you were in carpentry. If you were in uh, agriculture, all of your family was in agriculture. You know, if you were a king, you were all kings, etc., etc., etc. Unfortunately, some of these next details are the ones where I'm most excited and yet the most fuzzy about. But each person treated their trade or their, their responsibility as so valuable, as so almost holy. The gentleman I spoke to said that no one could own anything meaning outside of what they did. So if you were a farmer, you could not also own wealth or for instance, could, could not also have education as a doctor, it, perhaps for their own well-being, but not to gain benefit from by, by serving others. See, I need more information here. Pretty much, it sounds like each person stayed in their own lane, so to speak, according to the language we use today. Even 
the kings or the leaders, they did not ask for more than what was needed. In fact, they did not tax the people. They did not even request what was needed. If they needed something, they would have an advisor and that advisor would notice what was needed and would request from the people what was needed for their leader. And that advisor would carry a bag on them and that bag could only hold one meal's worth for the advisor. The advisor could not own more than one meal's worth um, for themselves. It was very interesting what each person was allowed to have, to own, to do. In the fields, in for agriculture, you, you did not step into the field with your shoes on. It was, it was like a holy space. He didn't use the word holy, but that was the impression I got. It was, it was almost like a community of service that as a farmer, I would give to you what you need and you would give to me in return. And because there's this cycle happening, we all have everything that we need. No one is asking or taking too much. Something else interesting that he said was that the doctor, he called them Ayurveda doctors, um, they would first look for the source or the root of your problem. Now, a lot of the ailments we see here in North America, they've never had in India, partly because of how they deal with health issues there and partly because of how they eat, until, of course, certain things were introduced to their community. But these Ayurveda doctors would not accept more than whatever it is you could afford, whatever it is you could give. They would never ask for more than that. And after finding out the root cause, they'd, they'd ask, you know, the history of your family, of course, which has now spread across the globe. These are things that are typically, typically asked. They would find out what your job is to find out where you spend most of your time and all of these different things. Then they would tell you something to eat and, and this was something interesting, not surprising, but interesting. They would give you something to offer to the gods once a year at the festivals and present it in a almost ceremonial fashion. But because you're doing it that way and you are to eat it uh, at least once a year in this way, it became more meaningful and the people then gave it an importance and they felt like the gods must have it and that meant the people didn't ignore it they gave it more weight to it when in all reality they're finding that it was the food that was important to the patient not necessarily the ritual or the ceremony or whatever you know, it was the, the food itself that helped with the ailment. And if they go back through the cer ceremonial foods, 
a lot of these foods address so many different health concerns and that is why they don't have the same issues they don't have diabetes they don't have high blood pressure etc 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 he also mentioned and you may have heard that the ganges river is really special and we haven't heard why he said they're still studying it but one thing they have learned is that the ganges has an excessive amount of oxygen in it they don't know why and they're still studying that but that is that is one thing that sets it apart so obviously a lot of these cultural differences have changed to a considerable degree over time but he did say that the ayurveda doctors if they are sincere in being ayurveda doctors will not accept a large payment from you and if you are looking for a good doctor then that is the type of doctor that you look for another interesting tidbit you have probably heard about aveda uh, products what happened there was that a couple was having some sort of a skin condition and they came in contact with an ayurveda doctor who did solve their problem and gladly helped them give uh, what they needed to pass on to other friends to help them as well but this couple then decided that they wanted to create a business out of it which is completely the opposite of what ayurveda is all about and they changed the word slightly to aveda and thus was born the business i wish that i remembered more but there was really some beauty in the way that those communities worked at that time the the lack of greed the trust the support and i wish that i wish that there was a way to incorporate some of that today but <laughs> i don't i don't know that there is at least not in our culture here in north america it's so antithetical to how we see the world to how we live to everything the indian culture at that time was only quote economically terrible if you see it in the light of how we lived at that time in north america if you see how europe lived at that time um if you perceive what an economy should be what you want it to be even if you if if you frame it under the word economy because that's not what they were building they were building a culture a community and it was about so much more than money it wasn't about economy i would hazard to guess that when you live in such a place that is accepting of or believes in many belief systems or many gods and trades instead of hordes and is supportive and appreciates a richness of belief even if you don't believe in 
their gods or their rituals, etc. That there was a, a respect, right, for each other, for the community, an understanding of what's important. I would hazard to guess there was less conflict. Not that there was no conflict, but less conflict because there's less illness, there's less, like I said, hoarding or greed because you're looking out for each other. That's just the way it's always been. That's the way you think it should be, right? You have a completely different way of seeing the world. I I wonder what, I wonder what it would have been like. I don't know. I don't know. Thanks for listening. In today's episode, you heard music from Vortex, entitled Sense of Music, from the Free Music Archive under a Creative Commons license. The details can be found in the episode description.